Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is Children of the Promise. Now, here's Bill Ahmed. Young man entered the movie theater. Just as the lights go dim, all those previews are getting ready to start. And he's loaded down. He's got the big bag of popcorn, that stupid little cardboard tray with three drinks on it, some candy. And he's struggling to make his way up and down the aisles, peering into the dark rows, looking for somebody. Presumably the people he came with. But he's looking up and down. And he goes up and down one side. And he goes up and down the other side. And he goes back to this side. And by the third trailer, he's completely frustrated. And he calls out, Does anybody here recognize me? (laughs) And he's looking for what we all are looking for. A place to belong. Somebody who knows us. Somebody who recognizes us. In this young man's case, turns out he was in the wrong theater. (laughs) He had to leave and presumably found his friends somewhere else. But this is what Paul has been talking about in Galatians. That we have a place to belong. Last week we talked about the promise. This week we're going to be talking about we are the children of the promise. We have a place to belong. Open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 4. Now remember as we've been going through the series, Paul's been talking to the churches of Galatia. And uh, they had accepted the message that they were saved by grace. But somehow, through some people giving them bad information, they had gone back and said, we have to be saved by our works and what we do. Now, Paul doesn't say that good works are bad. He says, that's not what saves you. And Galatia, the people of the Galatia area have gotten off the tracks a little bit. We're going to talk more about what the law is good for in chapters 5 and 6. But... um, Going on in chapter 4 here, remember at the end last week, he gave us the example of the guardian, the slave or the servant who would take care of the children, would make sure the children got to school on time, would make sure the children learned their lessons, did well in school. Some of us are thinking, man, I wish I had one of those for my kid, right? And eventually we grow up and we don't need the guardian anymore. Well, Paul kind of continues with that theme here in this first part of Galatians chapter 4. Hopefully you've got your Bibles open. Verses 1 and 2. He says, What I'm saying that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. Now, we know this, right? We have a legal age. 18 for most things, 21 for some. 
And you can't, as a child, you can't make decisions until you reach that legal age. And if your parents pass away and leave the estate to you, it's given a guardian or a trustee to take care of it until you reach legal age. Now, in Rome, they didn't have a legal age of 18 like we do. It was when the father thought you were old enough. So some kids, maybe that was 18. Other kids, maybe that was 35. You know, I don't don't know. But he's, he's talking about this. So even though you own the estate, you can't do anything with it because you're underage. Okay? You haven't reached the age of legal decisions yet. Continuing in verses 3 and 5. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption and sonship. All right. We know this, right? Jesus is born. To who? Mary. He's a human. He's a Jew. He is born under the Jewish law. Jesus has to follow the Jewish law as a Jew. Okay? And so he, he was a real man. He had a physical body. He was born under the law as a Jew to a real woman. But Jesus comes to free the people. And he could set the people free. He could set the Gentiles free from their religion. He could set the Jews free from their religion. Okay? God could adopt everybody into His family. In the junior Sabbath school class this morning, we read a story about a family who, through the years, had adopted 75 foster children into their family. And we think 75 kids. God adopts everybody. All six billion of us. And more. Every person who trusts Jesus can be part of God's family. Astyages was the last king of the Midian Empire. He ruled from 585 to 550 B.C. He took over the kingdom from his father, and he ruled with his two brothers-in-laws. And one of the brothers-in-laws you're going to know, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Astyages had a dream that his daughter's son was going to take over the kingdom from him. So he married his daughter off to a prince who was a mild-mannered guy. They said, you know, that prince will bring him up and this son will be gentle and he won't take over my kingdom. A little while later, Astyages has another dream still about that child taking over his kingdom. 
So he sent his most trusted general to go and kill the child. The general gets there and cannot spill royal blood. So he takes the child and gives it to a shepherd family who had just had a baby that was stillborn. And he takes the stillborn baby back to Astyages and everybody thinks it's done. When the child is 10 years old, it is discovered that Cyrus is still alive. Now, Astyages spared the boy, gave him back to his parents, not so gracious with the general. But Cyrus, we know, created and built the Persian Empire, the largest empire of the world up to that time. Now, Cyrus respected the lands and the, the, the religions and the traditions of the places he conquered. And he let them continue to worship their gods and to do the things they wanted to do. And this became a very successful model for centralized government administration. King Cyrus is the one who makes it possible for the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to build the temple, rebuild the temple. Because he respects the individual beliefs of the people. See, Cyrus was raised as a peasant, a shepherd. He had to learn how to become a prince later in life. But that peasant beginnings served him well because he realized that he needed to respect other people as a peasant. You're at the bottom of the food chain. And when he was at the top of the food chain, he kept that belief. And Cyrus the Great is recognized for many achievements in human rights, politics, and military strategy, and his influence on both Eastern and Western civilizations. He grew up a peasant didn't realize that he was royalty and designed for greatness, destined for greatness. And many Christians fall into the same category. We think we're peasants. And we don't understand that we are royalty. We don't understand that we are heirs to God's kingdom. That's a powerful thing. That's a powerful thing. Look at what Paul says in verses 6 and 7. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, since you are no longer a slave but God's child, and since you are His child, God has God has made you also an heir. What has God made you? An heir. To what? The kingdom. Number one. You are heirs of God through Christ. Now, your boss at work may not treat you that way. 
The police officer who has just pulled you over may not treat you that way. The person in front of you in the line at the grocery store that takes 45 minutes to write the check may not treat you that way. But you are heirs of God's kingdom. Regardless of whether you are homeless or jobless or spouseless or anything else less that you want in life, you are an heir of God's kingdom. Now, here in this part of the chapter, Paul kind of switches gears a little bit. And he gets on them a little bit. Um, but he, he, he cares for the people. And he's talking about how much he cares for them. And he's not just writing this letter to rip them apart. But he really cares for them. And he talks about, man, you guys are keeping all of the special holidays again. The days and the months and the seasons. See, it's not just about the circumcision we talked about before. They've gone back full bore into all of, of obeying the law. And again, notice, Paul doesn't say these things are bad, but it's just not how you get saved. So dr- jumping down to verse 13, we get a little bit of the backstory of Paul here. It says, As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I was an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus Himself. Now, when Paul came to the area of Galatia the first time, he had just come down from a low land, a swampy land there in Turkey that's called Perga. It was a little town there. And it was a swampy area. And what do you get when you have swampy areas? Bugs, mosquitoes, malaria. We don't know that Paul had malaria, but we think probably he did. Now, I've never had malaria, thank goodness. I'll I'll just skip that whole experience. But um, I guess people get it. You get the fever and you get chills and you're racked with fever and and pain. And it kind of comes and goes. So you get this real bad period and then you feel a little bit better. And then you get this real bad period and, and it's just horrible. In fact, it was so bad that John Mark, who was traveling with Paul at the time, said, forget this. If this is what missionary life is, I'm going home. And he left. He was repulsed by Paul's illness. And let's face it, throwing up all day long is really kind of no fun, right? So Paul goes up higher away from the coast into a little mountainous region where it's a little bit cooler into this area of Galatia. And the people welcomed him. They did not scorn him because of his disease. They listened attentively to his message. They probably had to schedule around his bouts of sickness. Now, Paul's too sick to talk to us today. Well, maybe tomorrow. And they, they accommodated him, and they welcomed him in. Verse 15, he says, Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. 
Have I now become an enemy by telling you the truth? Now, the example of tearing out your eyes and giving them to somebody is probably an example, right? Today we'd say, he'll give you the shirt off his back, right? How many times have you actually seen somebody do that? Not very often, right? It's an expression. However, malaria affects your vision in your eyes. And so this is another reference that makes us believe that Paul probably had malaria. And the people were, if we could, we'd give you our eyes to fix your eyesight, Paul. Verse 17 and 18. These people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. All right, The people he's talking about again are the false teachers, the Judaizers that have come in and said, you guys got to keep the law, and if you don't keep the law, you're not going to heaven. And they've been so successful at it, they've given up on God's grace. And they think, I've got to behave. I've got to do the right thing. And Paul says, it's okay to be zealous about something, but be careful that you're being zealous for the right thing. Number two, keep the main thing the main thing. If you've been around, you've heard me say this before. It seems kind of silly. It's incredibly profound once you stop and think about it. Because we get off track so easy. You ever gone to the grocery store? Yeah. And you know that you're supposed to buy the good food, the healthy food. That you should be over here. You ever notice that the good food's always at one side of the grocery store? So you've got to go way over to that side where all the fruits and veggies are. But you need a few other things. And so you start going up and down the other aisles. And pretty soon, we're like, ooh, look at that. That's shiny. I need one of those. Ooh, look at the colors on that box. I need one of those. And pretty soon, your whole cart is filled with stuff that isn't so healthy. We went there to buy healthy stuff. We didn't mean to come back with a cart full of hostess and ding-dongs and yo-yos and whatever else. I don't know. But sometimes that's what happens. We get off track so easy because we didn't keep the main thing the main thing. Right? This happens to us in lots of areas in our life. My wife teases me. I, I hesitate to tell you guys this. My wife teases me because I like blue. And so I buy lots of blue shirts. And she makes fun of me because you open my closet and it's blue. All of it. I'm happy. If you don't like blue, that's your problem, not my problem. So one day I thought, I'm going to show her. I went to the store to buy a shirt that wasn't blue. I'm standing in line, got my shirt, I'm looking at it, stupid thing's blue. I don't know how it happened, but now you just have to deal with it. I like blue shirts. 
So, um, you know, sometimes we have these days when somebody says, well, we've got to wear red. Oh, boy. That's a challenge. And we don't keep the main thing, the main thing. The main thing was to go buy a shirt that wasn't blue. Could even do that. And that happens to us all the time. See, we do good works because God has given us a spot in heaven. He's made us an heir to the kingdom. Not so that we can earn a spot in heaven. And the difference between those is profound. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. Now in verses 21 through 31, Paul gets back to talking about Abraham again and the promise. Remember, Abraham is the father of all the Jews. And God has told Abraham that he's going to have more descendants than he can count. And Abraham is old. And he doesn't have any kids. And so they try to solve the problem in a human way. Hagar says, take my, uh, Sarah says, take my slave Hagar and have a child. And then we'll have a family. We're fulfilling God's promise. Well, a few years later, Sarah and Abraham have a child. And this is what Paul says about that in verse 24. It says, These things are to be taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai, the law, and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Verses 28 and 29. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. All right. So Abraham has a son with Hagar, Ishmael. Abraham and Sarah have a son, Isaac. Ishmael's a little older. Isaac's a little younger. Abraham throws a big party. You guys remember the story? When Ishmael is to be weaned. It was a big deal. We're going to throw a party. I've never been to a baby weaning party before, but apparently it was a deal. So he throws this big party. And Ishmael persecutes Isaac. He makes fun of him. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. So he said, get him out of here. I don't want to deal with them anymore. See, but Abraham and Sarah took God's promise into their own hands. Isaac was born because of God's promise. Ishmael was born because Abraham and Isaac didn't trust God enough. When a son is born of a slave... They are a slave. Ishmael was born of a slave into slavery, and he was a slave. He was born under the law, and nothing could change that. Now, we know that this is still going on in the Middle East. Palestine comes from Ishmael's lineage. 
the Jews and Israel comes from Isaac's lineage, they're still fighting thousands of years later. It's all because of who's under the law and who's under the promise and their failure to get along with each other. The law doesn't make people better Christians. It just makes them slaves. Look at what Paul says in verse 30 and 31. It says, But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, are not children of the slave, but of, I'm sorry, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. See, Paul's setting the stage here. He says, listen, you guys are part of the promise. And he's not just talking to Jews. He's talking mostly to Gentiles. People that have accepted Christ and have decided to follow Christ. They weren't born into it. Abraham was not their blood father, like the Jews could say. And he says, listen, you are of the free woman, not the slave woman. See, these these Judaizers, these false teachers, have caused a lot of problems. Not just to Paul, but to the people. I think Paul's telling us something too about people who cause problems in church. People who intentionally break up churches. People who are so disruptive in churches because they can't get along. And everything has to be according to the law. That's not how it works. They supposed that God would reward them for their good efforts. They did not want to trust Jesus. See, and that's really the thing. I don't need God. I can do it on my own. And that is the problem. Because we need God. I don't know how many of you ever tried to do it on your own. But if your trial was anything like mine, it didn't go so well. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. Sunday school teacher was registering two children, two brothers, and she asked them their age and birthday. One of the boys said, We're both seven. My birthday is April 8. My brother's birthday is April 20. Teacher looked a little confused and said, That's impossible. The older brother said, no, it's not. One of us is adopted. And the teacher, before she was even aware, said, well, which one? And then, I wish I hadn't said that. The boys looked at each other and smiled and said, we asked Dad that a while ago. But he said he just loved us, and he couldn't remember anymore. Which one of us was adopted? We are children of God. We are adopted into His family. And He cannot 
remember which one of us was adopted. As we read God's Word, we have to understand that. As a child of God, you have received an inheritance. You are fully adopted into God's kingdom. Number three, you are a joint heir with Christ. Married couples often have joint checking accounts. When you have a joint checking account, how much can you write a check for? Half of the account or all of the account? All of the account. It's a joint account, but you have ability to 100% of the account. And God says, you are a joint heir with Christ. You have access to 100% of God's kingdom. People, this is good news. This is good news. This is why we tell our friends about God. This is powerful stuff. You have access to 100% of God's kingdom. Now maybe here on the world things don't always look that way. And we go through some trials and some tribulations sometimes. But the truth is that you share in God's kingdom with all of His promises, with all of its perks, with all of all of it. You are a joint heir to God's kingdom. Powerful, powerful news. Something that's worth telling our friends about. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much that we can be heirs of Your kingdom, Lord. That You loved us enough to adopt us when we were a mess and far from You. Before we were even born yet. Lord, It's just hard to comprehend sometimes. But thank You so much for the grace that You show us. Lord, help us to be aware of that grace, to accept that grace. Not so that we can just do whatever we want. Lord, because we still want to live lives that You would have us live. But help us to understand that that grace is what saves us. Your grace is what saves us. Help us to share this good news with the people around us because this is the good news, Lord. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.